for that, and we're thankful. Thank you, Brendan, for our Kids Zone volunteers who are headed down to Kids Zone and uh, volunteering to teach our kids. You know, they get scripture memory uh, on Wednesday night, and then the benefit of systematically teaching through the Bible on Sunday morning. We're a church that believes in children's ministry. After all, this church was planted several years before the Civil War. If, uh, if you're not into children's ministry, you won't last long as a church. We're in Matthew chapter 5. If you have your Bibles with you, you can open them with me to Matthew chapter 5. And I'd like to start with two words that not very many of you would put in the same sentence. Those two words are happiness and purity. Now, why would, why would I think that most of us would not put happiness and purity in the same sentence? Well, one reason might be that a lot of us would associate purity with rules. And rules are like the opposite of happiness. You can't be happy if there are rules in the way of your happiness. So for the love, why would you want rules or purity? A lot of us would associate purity with rules, and I have good news and bad, bad news for you, if this is you. The good news is, I don't think it's about rules. The bad news is, it goes much deeper than rules. It's more difficult than rules, purity. Another reason people would not associate purity with happiness is they would associate failure with purity. They think, well, I can't be pure because that ship sailed a long time ago. The days that I hoped of being pure, those are behind me, and now all I have is failure. And I've got good news for you. Purity is something that's in front of you. That your failure does not define you. More on that in a little bit. Another reason people would not associate purity with happiness is because purity, dare I say it in church, you probably wouldn't say this in church, but I'll say it in church, purity sounds really boring. Doesn't it? We would not associate purity with happiness because after all, pure people are boring people. That's one way of looking at it, but of course you're going to see that I'm not there with that way of thinking. Another way of thinking of purity, the way I'm going to try to define purity and explain purity, is purity leads to the kind of life that after you've lived for a couple years, you can kind of sit down and lean back and think about your life and think, in moments of reflection, in moments of gratitude, think, I am so glad God kept me from, I am so glad I decided to, I am so thankful that I was saved all this pain, and the people around me were saved all this pain, 
and I didn't grieve the heart of God in this instance. I am so thankful. Purity leads to that kind of freedom. Freedom from regret, freedom from guilt, freedom from patterns that tend to repeat themselves. Purity leads to freedom. You would associate freedom with happiness, wouldn't you? So I think happiness and purity are extremely related, but we might not have a great definition of purity. So we're going to get to that. We'll explain what I mean by purity in just a, just a second. But before we do, let me pray before we start reading Scripture. Lord, I pray that you would stand in front of me Well, I'm in front of them. And that you would talk over me while I talk to them. Do this for your glory's sake, for our good, so that the world is reached. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Here we are in Matthew chapter 5, and we're working through the Beatitudes. The Sermon on the Mount is Matthew 5 through 7, and we're working through the first part of that, and that is called the Beatitudes because it is about the blessings. And so we read, blessed, again and again, that Jesus is for your happiness. Um, He's not against your happiness. He is for your happiness. And so we see this word blessed nine times in these verses. You see it in Matthew chapter 3, I'm sorry, chapter 5, verse 3, blessed, chapter 5, verse 4, blessed, chapter 5, verse 5, blessed, verse 6, blessed, verse 7, blessed, verse 8, blessed, verse 9, blessed, Verse 10, blessed, and verse 11, blessed. You see, blessed again and again and again, and Jesus is for your happiness. This does not mean that Jesus thinks that you should stay exactly how you are. You should keep being exactly how you are. Jesus is for you changing, and Jesus may be applying pressure to help you change, not because he's against your happiness, but because he is for your happiness. So we have a summary of the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 4, verse 17, where Jesus says, From that time on, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So I've said this every week, and I'm going to say it again with a different story, because I'm trying to help you really believe down deep in your heart, that's a key word this week, that Jesus is for you, and he wants you to change. So we had a kid one time when he was, I'm guessing, four that had a bad habit of trying to control situations by vomiting. So we'd be at, you know, we were, I remember one time really specifically, just like vividly, I can almost smell it, (laughs) where we're at these friends' houses, and uh, we didn't see them very often. We drove a long ways to get there. We're there, we're at their house. They have this beautiful tablecloth, beautiful spread. Everything was spectacular. And we're enjoying uh, dinner, and stuff didn't go the way this kid wanted it to go, and he wasn't getting the attention that he wanted, and just, just, it's all over the tablecloth, it's dripping onto the floor, it's every, oh, man. A week later, we're at a restaurant, and things aren't going the way he wants it to go, and in order to try to get control of the situation, he lets her fly again, and... One thing led to another, and I came to the conclusion 
I have to help him change. I can't leave him like this. He can't go through life thinking he can control situations that way. Right? So, so here's, here's the thing. He was on a path, on a trajectory. You caught that, didn't you? Of thinking, I can control things. My kingdom come. My will be done. I'm going to have things my way through this specific means. I was trying to help him repent of that thinking and change. Because I think in order to be happy, he needed to change. You can't go through life thinking that. See, in the same way, God looks at us, and like there's so much more distance between us and God as between me and a kid. Like God looks at us, he's so much bigger than us, he's so much smarter than us, he looks at us and says, you can't keep thinking that. You have to change. You have to repent. So we, we tend to, our bent is to live, my kingdom come, my will be done, hallowed be my name, and God is helping us repent and live, your kingdom come, your will be done, hallowed be your name. This is the repentance that Jesus is bringing about. Part of this repentance is purity. So what I mean by purity is like onlyness. What I mean by onlyness is if, you know, you have a thing of water, you want pure, clean water. How many PFAFs do you want in your water? Not very much. How many contaminants do you want in your water? Not very much. You want pure, clean, you want it to only be water. If, if you have a cup from, if you get a cup out of the cupboard, how much of yesterday's milk do you want welded to the insides of it? You, you, how much of two weeks ago breakfast orange juice do you want welded to the inside of it? No, you want it clean. You want it to only be a cup, right? This, all you want is a cup. You don't want anything else that comes with the cup. You just want it to be a nice, clean cup. If you're not with me yet, think of like, okay, so I had a Corolla one time with a spoiler on the back. Did that make that, the, did the spoiler make the Corolla a pure sports car? No, it made it mostly a grocery getter with a spoiler, right? It was not a pure sports car. It was a grocery getter pretending to be a sports car. A pure sports car doesn't have a back seat. A pure sports car doesn't have much of a trunk. A pure sports car has way more engine. It's pure. All it's for is for sport, not for grading groceries. Not for hauling kids. It's a sports car. You know, so purity is onlyness. Like that's all, it's only what it is. It's, it's water. It's a clean cup. It's a sports car. It's purity, okay? So how does purity relate to happiness. Well, think of like if you think of what your dreams are for marriage. I think what your dreams are for marriage is that you would be so in love with this person that you wouldn't want to be with anybody else. And I think what your dreams are is that they would be in so in love with you that they wouldn't want to be with anybody else. 
And you think that would be a happy marriage. It would be pure. We would only want to be with each other. We'd only want each other. Well, a way to not be unhappy in marriage is to invite a third person into the marriage or a fourth person into the marriage. That would not make it happy. That would, that would make it really messy and a lot less pure. Purity leads to happiness because purity is simple and clean and desirable. And so when we talk about purity here, we're talking about I am only seeking God's kingdom. This is what Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 6. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. So I am purity of heart in the sense that I am only seeking God and his righteousness. I only love God. Does that mean I can't love other people? No, of course you can love other people. Like Husbands are commanded to love wives. We're commanded to love our neighbor as ourselves. We're commanded, we're commanded to love people, but we only love God as God. Just like husbands only love wives like that. They can love their kids too. They can, you know, fine. But you only have one spouse. So purity means onlyness, and it is a key part of living a repented life. So how do you do this? Well, Jesus tells us, blessed are the pure, blessed are the pure in what? Heart. Heart. This is, this is where it's going to get tough. Um, we use the word heart a lot, but I think we use it to mean like feelings. And I think the biblical way of using heart is much bigger than this. Let me show you. So in Matthew chapter 12, uh, Jesus has just been accused of healing somebody by the power of Satan. And Jesus says, I just want you to think about where that's coming from, where those accusations are coming from. Like this is really coming from a bad place in you that you would ascribe healing me, you know, Jesus healing somebody to the power of Satan. And Jesus says, that came from somewhere, fellas. And it came from your heart. So Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What did he mean? He means that when they saw him heal, And they're like, yeah, that probably came from Satan. He says, you know what? That came from somewhere, and that was like your heart leaking. Does your heart ever leak? When you hear yourself say something, do you hear something and go, oh. Because here, here's what Jesus says. In Matthew chapter 12, uh, verse 34, he says, how can you speak good when you are evil? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of the tr good treasure brings forth good. The evil person out of the evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, listen to this, if, you don't, if you're just sleeping up until now, welcome back. Welcome back. 
pay attention to this. People will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you'll be justified, and by your words you'll be condemned. How do you know what your heart is like? How do you know whether or not your heart has been redeemed? How do you know whether or not your heart is blessed? Well, it leaks. Careless words spill out, and you know those are coming out of your out of your heart. What kinds of things leak, spill out of your heart? Is it like discontent of like, man, I really think I'd be happy if I had you might not say it exactly like that, but kind of the idea of just, just discontent with what God has given you in terms of where you live or what you have, what you do for a living, who you don't have. Like I'm so sick of being... What kinds of things spill out of your heart? This is not the only time Jesus says this. He says the same thing in Matthew chapter 15 where the Pharisees are like really mad at Jesus for not washing the outside of the cup uh, because of all the Gentile filth in the world. And Jesus is like, you know, you know that it's not the outside of the cup that matters. You know that what matters is, well, let me read it to you. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. You want to know what makes you a sinner? It's not drinking stuff that has Gentile filth on it. It's the sin in your heart that comes out of you that convicts you. So, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. You want to know how you're a sinner, just listen to yourself speak. Just listen to your heart leak. And you hear yourself slander. You hear the innuendo. You hear yourself say, I wish I had, and the discontent and the unhappiness. You hear it leak out of you. And it is your heart that is leaking. So the question is, what on earth do we do? Because how do you fix a heart? Do rules fix a heart? It's kind of like, you know, in my mind, it'd be kind of like taking diseased people and putting a wall around them to keep the disease out. Well, they're already diseased. That's kind of like what the Pharisees' plan is of like, we'll build more rules so we keep the sin on the outside. Well, the sin is already in our heart. So what do we do? Well, remember where we are. Remember where we are. Because if you're like, man, I hear my heart leak all kinds of stuff, and it is foul. And I don't know what I can do about it. Well, welcome. You're in the right spot. Because Jesus starts 
starts the Beatitudes, starts the blessings, not with blessed are the pure of heart. He doesn't start there. If he started there, we would all be in desperate trouble. He starts with blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who know they have not arrived. Blessed are those who know they don't have a clue. Blessed are those who know that they are spiritually bankrupt. Blessed are those who are at the end of their rope and have given up. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Then he says, blessed are those who mourn. Remember we looked at this, we talked about how it was mourning specific sins. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who know that they are sinners. Blessed are those who can see their sin, who hate their sin, who loathe their sin. Blessed are those who are itchy with guilt and hate it. Blessed are those who have desperate, deep, I hate this regrets. I am never going back there. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Do you see the progression? Blessed are those who have come to the end of themselves and are like, I am not going to selfishly grab any more. I am not doing stuff in my strength anymore. Now I am going to submit myself fully to God and quit taking matters into my own hands. Right. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. These first three are about our need. Now our need is about to be satisfied, because blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. When we have come to the end of ourselves and mourned our sin and confessed it and said, I'm going to quit taking matters into my own hands and submit to the lordship of Christ, and we come to the end of ourselves, that's when we receive mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And it's after receiving mercy that we can be pure. This is, this is kind of what I see in Psalm 51, just to show you another example. Kind of show it, prove it to you from another spot. Psalm 51 is after um, David. A psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. By the way, he had also murdered Bathsheba's husband to try to cover it up. He had gone into Bathsheba. He had murdered her husband. It was public and it was, it was heinous. And he writes this, Have mercy on me, O God. Hey, does that, does that sound familiar? What comes before purity? Mercy. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me, make me pure, cleanse me. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. If your heart has been leaking impurity and you hear your heart splashing out impurity and uncleanness, then what should you do? Well, you should ask the only one that can clean it to clean it. You should ask the only one that can forgive it to forgive it. You should ask the only one that can give you a new heart to give you a new heart. Only God can do that. 
That's what we're going to celebrate when we take communion. God's forgiveness. And we're going to remember how he allowed his body to be broken. He said, look, me for you. I'll die in your place so that you can be utterly and completely forgiven. I'll allow my blood shed in your place so that your sins can be washed away, completely, entirely washed away. If you're here and you're like, I am such a failure, I have so much impurity, I have so many regrets, well, welcome. You're in the right spot. Jesus is here for you. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us, to make us pure. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So ask. Okay, so, so we said, with your heart. So how do we become pure? Well, with our hearts. We're talking about heart-level purity, not performance-level purity, not like project the image of purity, but we're talking about heart-level purity, about what spills out of us. Then we said, okay, well, how do you do this? Well, number one, you ask, and Jesus gives purity. But what I want you to kind of come back to and see in the diagram of the Beatitudes that we've drawn is what's straight across from purity? Mourning. Mourning our sin. Saying, I hate this. I know what my sins are. I hate them. And I want to be done with them and dead to them. Now, how, how can we live in purity? Well, I think it's related to mourning. Now, what, what commentators sometimes get hung up on, maybe what Christians get sometimes hooked up, get hung up on is, is this God's area or our area? And I just don't think it's that complicated. It's, it's kind of like if Cheyenne were to get one of my white shirts really, really, really clean, like bleached, snow white, utterly clean. And she was to get it super clean for me, and then I was to, you know, sit in the chair on Sunday morning before I preach and eat a big plate of spaghetti, kind of like this. Well, that's a bad idea, right? Well, in the same way, God makes you pure, but that is not an excuse for you to trample in the mud. It's not an excuse for you to run back to the same old sins. See what those sins are and hate them and be done with them. So in Psalm 51 again, Verse 3, David writes, For I know my transgressions, I know what they are, and I hate them. They are ever before me. I hate it because I see the consequences of it. I see what it does to me. I see how it's warping my soul. I see how it hurts the people around me. And I see how it grieves the heart of God. So I hate it. So, where are you? Where are you in this? Are you still trying to fix what you hear coming out of your mouth with trying harder? 
with better image management? Are you still trying to like do everything in your own strength? Are you sitting in utter terrific failure and like, what's the point? Might as well just keep on sinning. Where are you in this? Remember, remember what communion means. It means he loved us so much that he gave himself for us. That we can be forgiven. And what that means is that purity is something out in front of us, not behind us. So one author wrote this. Colin Smith wrote this. Some people have the idea that purity is something that you have when you are young and you lose, you lose it if you mess up. And I'd say that's confusing purity with innocence. You can lose your innocence. People can take your innocence from you. Your innocence is something you have and then you lose. But, but not purity because we're born sinners. But in the Bible, purity is not something that you lose because you never had it. You know, because you were never wholly committed to God. You never were seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Not when you're two, not when you're ten, not when you're in middle school. You never had a pure love for God. You were never seeking after him like you can if you grow. So, but in the Bible, purity is not something that you lose. It's something that you gain as you grow in the Christian life. It's not something behind you that was lost, but something ahead of you to be pursued and gained. So go after purity. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would bring us to the end of ourselves, that we would see that Behavior management, image management, will not earn the forgiveness of sins and will not change our hearts. I pray that you would help us come to the end of ourselves and run to you to cleanse our hearts, to make us pure, to make us whole. Would you do that this morning? Lord, while we take communion, would you reach down and help us come to the end of ourselves and help us turn to you? Help people not settle for low-grade guilt and bitterness and anger, but help them settle for nothing less than purity of heart so they can see you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.